Are you gay? Geeky? Just enjoy hearing your good Judy's dish about the latest in pop culture? Well, then you're in luck. The boys of Flame On are here for you. In every episode, we discuss the topics that entrance us. Whether it's comics, TV, movies, drag queens, or video games, we've got you covered. So, if you're ready for your gay and geeky slice of pop culture life, then sit back and get ready to Flame On! Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction, and free shipping, and that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. Introducing the greatest animated series you've never seen, Lightning Dogs. These canine commandos are lost on a post-apocalyptic Earth and battling the forces of the evil Glampire. <laughs> it's a tribute to the cartoons and sci-fi of the 80s and 90s, and Nerdy Show is hell-bent on bringing it to life. Blocks sold separately. Join us as we document our quest from the moment lightning struck to every world-building session and beyond and make our crazy dream a reality. Roll with the pack at lightningdogs.com. The following episode of Flame On is presented by the Nerdy Show Network. Geeky programming for all nerds across the multiverse. All Nerdy Show programming is made possible by A Comic Shop, Orlando's number one comic shop and nerd destination, and with the generous support of listeners like you. To learn how you can support this and other fine geeky programming, visit nerdyshow.com. Spandex makes me horny. Drag is the new spandex. Hey everyone, see you thought we were only coming back for Drag Race, but this is Drag is the new spandex. We have a guest who is not Ginger Minch, because we can do that. We can book really awesome drag queens that we don't just know from drinking at the club with. Like, um... Anyway, I digress. We have Pat here with us. Hey, Pat. Hey, what's going on? I'm I'm doing well. How are you? I am delightful. I am overjoyed for tonight. <laughs> I I can't. I can't. I I'm, wish I wish the listeners could see the the wide eyed, big grin, rosy cheeked smile on your face right now. Because like, so our guest tonight, and you know, we're taping at night, not to destroy <laughs> the magic of this could happen at any time, but. Our guest tonight has been part of like my like gay DNA. And by like gay DNA, I mean secretly watching things in the dead of night while my mom is asleep because I'm not quite sure how she's going to take it. She took it well. But <laughs> like everything from, and I, okay, so I've watched a lot of TV. Like I've watched a lot of TV and movies. And so things like New York Undercover or Girls Will Be Girls, like How I Met Your Mother. Yes. Yes. So, <laughs> Some of you may have gotten some clues, some context clues, or some of you just read the title because our guest tonight is Coco Peru. Hi, Coco. Hello. I just want to thank you for coming on the show. Oh, it's my pleasure. I'm I'm happy to. I'm happy whenever someone is excited about me and wants to acknowledge me. What's not to love about that? <laughs> 
So, Coco, most of our listeners know who you are, but for the for the gabies, for the new ones, for the like eight straight people who may <laughs> not have heard of your illustrious career, tell us who Coco is. An exhausted old drag queen. <laughs> no, I've been around for a, a long time. This is my twenty seventh year working as Coco. Oh my god! And um. Yeah, I know that pick up your pick up your chin. <laughs> and I have been around. And what's lovely is that uh, with this whole drag explosion, um, some of these younger queens that have been on RuPaul's Drag Race um, have, you know, embrace have been, followed me. So they've you know they've let the younger generation know who their icons are, and I'm included in that. So I. I feel like I've gathered a whole new group of, of fans along the way. It's been wonderful. Well, I mean, you've had such this like cult and like widespread following. And I remember like growing up, I'm I'm about to turn 32 next year and I'm single, so I'm turning into a spinster, but that's neither here nor there. But I remember seeing you, you know, on on TV and movies, guest starring um, in places and seeing this like gay icon. And if I ever saw that you were on something, I knew one, it was going to be cool. And two, you're going to be funny as hell. And so like, as you know, a prepubescent can't figure out why I'm obsessed with the golden girls. Like kid, I want to say thank you. I can totally relate to all of that. And I had the same experience, you know, um, just watching B. Arthur as Maud, and you were later watching Golden Girls. But we, for some reason, we queer kids uh, are drawn to, you know, those kinds of icons like B. Arthur or, you know, outrageous strong women. And um, I decided to not only embrace those women, but try to become one myself on some level. And, um, it was the most liberating, wonderful experience to create Coco. It was equally terrifying because I had studied theater. And, um, you know, back then drag was not in the mainstream. So it was sort of seemed to everyone else that I was throwing away my career and my my degree from college, which was you know, Bachelor of Fine Arts. But I had this vision and I, on some level, just knew that this was my path. Mm, and And... You know, speaking of that genesis, did did Coco come to you as kind of like a spark of inspiration? Was it like kind of cold from different aspects of, you know, idols that you looked up to, your own personality? It was all of that. I was reading a book at the time about Native American two-spirited people. And for the first time in my life, I felt like I was reading my history, mm -hmm. even though I'm, I'm not Native American, but I felt that... I had a name, there was a name out there, there was a tradition out there that I could latch on to about, you know, I, I never felt either, I felt like I was both, you know, growing up. I, and then, um, and I felt completely normal as a young kid until other people told me I wasn't. And then, uh, so that two spirit idea was floating around in my head. I was also affected by the AIDS uh, epidemic at that time in New York City and was so wanting to be out and open and an activist. I studied theater. And then I I saw uh, Charles Bush do a play where he played the leading lady. And 
that sort of uh, made me decide that I could be a drag queen. Also, when I went to Peru, I, I missed a part. I met a my boyfriend at the time was Peruvian. We met a, a drag queen named Coco who was celebrated in this very homophobic at that time country. Mm. And I, I saw a strength in owning 100% of who you are, like she did, that people respected that, even homophobic people. So I, um, I just, all of that came together for me. And one day I actually just said out loud, I'm a drag queen. And as soon as I said it out loud, it just became so clear to me that I had to do this. It was like a, a, a snowball going down a mountain. You know, it just kept getting bigger and bigger. Mm-hmm. I had never done drag before. I booked my show before I ever did drag. <laughs> I, I booked it before I even wrote it. That's how confident I was. Yeah, that's how I need to start my drag career that way. It's just like, I have this date. I have nothing. I, mm. But, uh, you know, it's funny that you... Um, you talk about like the the creation of Coco and you know seeing this performer in a really hostile environment and i've always seen Coco Peru as this source of like strength like you know the times there are changing but like there's something about your aesthetic and your style of drag that just i, I guess like commands attention well, I'm just, it's funny that you say that because um, at the time I created Coco, drag was very large. It was very clownish, or at least the drag that I was seeing, mm-hmm. you know, in the East Village and whatnot. And I had decided that that I was going to do something completely opposite. So I was going to tell autobiographical stories. I was going to talk, which at that time drag queens didn't really do. Um, and it was going to be more theater. And I was going to not be clownish. I was going to not even wear a lot of jewelry. I was just going to do the opposite of what everybody else was doing at that time and draw attention to myself that way. And that rather than focus on the bigness of drag, I was going to have people focus on um, the details in my words, that that's what mattered most to me. And so I created that and and, and people like you were pretty Appreciate it. But what's so funny to me is every now and then I'll read this, some nasty comment out there and these young kids will say, that's not drag. She's not a drag queen. That's just a man in lipstick, blah, blah, blah. She doesn't even try that hair, you know, the hair. And I think, you know, they're missing for me. Drag was always what you decided it was going to be for yourself. And that's what was the beauty of it was it was self-expression. And um, I think uh, some of these young kids um, watching RuPaul's Drag Race or thinking that they know what drag is suddenly. They're all, you know, masters of drag. They have, um, they missed the, the idea of what drag was for me. Mm-hmm. Um, that's just very few people that I've heard, you know, say things like that. Most of the kids are t- terrific. I love them. There's a, a, a local drag queen who we've interviewed and she says um, sometimes new drag queens graduate from YouTube university. And, um, yes. And and it's, you know, I think it's, it, it must've been really lonely, you know, doing your, your style of drag, your version of drag being a part of that Vanguard, but like, obviously it's giving you a, a staying power because, you know, so many times people, you know, create what they think the audience wants, not necessarily what 
they want to produce as art and you can tell the difference. Like there's just this authenticity that comes from people, you know, putting themselves out there, you know, determined to kind of not necessarily change the landscape, but, you know, change what they perceive as this like form um, and how other people perceive that as well. Yeah, I wasn't even I didn't even set out to change drag. I, I because drag to me was whatever you wanted it to be. What I had set out to do was I wanted to change the world. And that sounds ridiculous and corny, but I knew what kind of liberation I felt when I finally created Coco. And I wanted everyone to feel that so many times people are born, even straight people are born into a world where they feel like they have to fulfill certain roles. And drag broke that for me. And I realized that I get to create exactly who I want to be, how I want to be seen. And that's very, very powerful. You know, drag drag isn't just for laughs. There's there's some real truths in there that I think I always felt people could learn from because I certainly did. Yeah, no, that's that's an amazing way to look at it, because I know you've been doing you've been doing shows pretty much your entire career. And you said that you booked your first show without even ever getting into drag for the first time. And um, I know in your your more recent shows, you lay down some really like personal truths for your audience has that always been the case and how has that evolved from the beginning of coco peru to like you said like 27 years later you know doing these shows for an ever-changing audience yeah they've always had that about them where it was autobiographical and um in my first show ever i did a monologue about uh aids and you know at that time that was pretty big because People just didn't expect a moving monologue from a drag queen about AIDS. You know, they were going there to forget maybe about what was happening out there in the world. And I was reminding them. So, um, but my shows have always had that element of both comedy and a little bit of seriousness. I think over the years, I've just evolved as a writer. I think I've gotten better. That's awesome. Yeah. I mean, I... I didn't know what to expect. Like I, I've always heard amazing things about your shows and, um, and, and seeing you in your movies and acting career, it's a lot different than, than going to a Coco Peru show. And so when you were in, in town here, uh, about almost two years ago, I was like, okay, I have to, you know, and it, it, thankfully it was at a place that I work at. So mm. <laughs> it was easy enough to, uh, to accommodate that. But I, I, I walked out of that show having laughed my ass off having shed a few tears because your your monologues and your your confessionals will you know to for lack of a better term right the second um are are absolutely moving and and i applaud that and that to me you know makes back back in the day that may not have been something that people expected but for me, when I when I see a a show, a one woman show, or a, a queen doing a show, I I applaud that and I look for that and I welcome that so much. So thank you, uh, you know, from deeply from the bottom of my heart for for opening up yourself to an audience like that because that's that's absolutely moving and wonderful. Well, thank you, and I I think that the whole landscape of 
what form, whatever has has evolved. Because I, I do think that when I first started, and maybe because I, w- I wasn't as good of a, I'm not saying I'm a great writer, but I'm just saying I, I know that I have gotten better. You know, I did meet, I'm, most people were excited about what I was doing. I became like this downtown cult thing to do. But some of the negativity was that I was um, too sweet or I was, uh, you know, and I and I, I think there's room for that, especially after I'm so self-deprecating and, and, and a dirty, whatever it is that you expect. Uh, I don't think there's a problem going to a, a sweet place. And I think the younger generation are more open to that now. They're not as cynical. You know, because you do so so much like autobiographical work in in your shows uh and and do you feel like coco is like the prism that you know that you know the source of you that your your ideas your creativities like shines through and it and allows you to like express these you know varying ranges of of emotions and honesty or is it more of a um I don't know, like an exploration of like ideas and you work like, I I guess what I'm trying to say, do you work from inward outward or outward inward? Oh, Lord. (laughs) (laughs) I think it's a combination of both. Usually it's funny. um, When I sit down in front of a blank screen, it used to be blank paper. I used to write my shows on yellow uh, paper. Um, legal pad papers, but now with computers, when I sit down in front of a blank screen, it's terrifying because I have no idea what I'm going to talk about. But I think about some of the stories that I've told over dinner with with friends and they, it gets a big laugh and I think, oh, I should remember that story and whatnot. And I start just putting those down and then these themes start coming through and then and then it becomes more internal but i'm always trying to make it universal so that the audience can relate to every little detail of my life otherwise you know if i'm just up there talking about myself because i'm getting off on that it's really that's selfish i want the audience to walk away feeling like i've told their story i'm always thinking about how is the audience going to receive this how are they going to feel and i i you know and I, i use a lot of music when i write to try and get to that emotion that i'm trying to express what what do you listen to? All sorts of music, just depending on what I'm, what kind of emotions. So I can listen to soundtracks, or I can listen to jazz, or lots of classical, or uh, Nina Simone. It just depends on what um, I'm trying to get across. Hmm. I um, every once in a while, when I'm trying to like come up with a new idea, I I break out my mama's and the papa's records. <laughs> And I'll drink some whiskey because Absolutely. I think that's what like Mama Cass would have done. I'm just like, yeah, I'm gonna sit here. I'm gonna, you know, drink this whiskey. I'm gonna smoke this cigarette, and I'm gonna come up with Creek Alley. And then you wake up eight hours later and say, "Did I get anything done?" <laughs> that's ex- how do you know? How did you know? <laughs> so now, Coco, uh, let's segue from your one woman shows and that's where you started how did you get into the world of acting as coco because looking through like your filmography for the most part um yeah most of your parts are as coco and they're just there's a ton like oral was talking about new york undercover if tu wong fu wig stock trick uh an episode of will and grace girls will be girls which is 
ridiculously hysterical uh boy meets boy and uh my funniest moment and just to sidetrack the the question for a second was watching through how i met your mother and having watched an episode and then watching it again and then realizing oh shit that that drag queen is coco peru that he's talking to like how did how did you get into like the world of acting as coco peru well that was always my intention and actually coco was going to be i thought one thing that i did i was going to still be an actor and maybe even create other characters. But then Coco kind of just took over. And I, the first um, thing I think I, one of the first things I did was that Tu Wong Fu, and that was great fun. And I met a lot of other drag queens from New York on that. And um, that was a wonderful experience on, on a lot of levels. And that was really the first drag explosion you know, in the early 90s, mm -hmm. we were asked to be and come and audition for, you know, say New York Undercover or Tu Wong Fu. Uh, there were lots of talk shows that they wanted to have club kids and drag queens on. So, you know, we were just, our names were passed around that these were interesting queens that were on the scene. And then uh, my, I got, then Trick came along and that was just a fluke, really. I wasn't even in that script. And I was I was asked to read, help my friend audition people for the original reading of it to try and raise money. And I, when it was all over, my friend Jim, who directed it, turned to me and said, you know, you were so funny playing the part of Catherine, which later went to Tori Spelling. Would you please do the reading? And I'll just explain to everyone that in the in the reading that the in the movie, it will be played by a real woman. So I did the reading and everyone said, keep her in the movie. She's funny. So they wrote me a scene and then I rewrote it. <laughs> and um, so it was just all these things by accident. The, yeah. You mentioned New York undercover. I was just telling someone the other day about that experience that, you know, I was so naive about the world of television. I went on that audition and the script was so bad as far as the drag world. I had one line that said, Oh look, they're voguing. Let's do it. I thought no one talks like that. <laughs> and then my character, after all these scenes, my character was supposed to come out of straight. And I said, no, I'm not going to carry like a No one's going to believe that. Anyway, I told the person auditioning, I said, this, this script is just awful. It's terrible. I can't believe who wrote this crap. And I walked out of there thinking, well, I didn't get the um, part, but at least I spoke my mind. And I actually did get the part. So it's but I changed, I made them change uh, the lines because I thought it was irresponsible for a drag queen to turn around and say that she was straight to carrying on like a big queen. You know, I, I know I keep harping about this and, and I apologize because I, I'm still beaming since we started. I think there's so much about who you present, like, you know, the, uh, your persona and what you present to the world. And, you know, sometimes, you know, people think I'm doing this thing and no one's ever going to see it. Um, but you're like, I was that kid who saw it. Like, I'm I'm of that generation where, you know, drag exploded again in the 90s. You know, I'm seeing, you know, really positive representations of gay people, especially because, you know, I was lucky enough to kind of figure out, oh, like, you know, I saw two men kissing, uh, like at the, the train station, 
in the mid 90s and i'm like that's really that's amazing like i've never seen something like that before and then instantly you have that moment that oh shit moment where you're like oh okay things are gonna get really difficult and you know i think the the thing about you know drag and you know making sure that you're not like this irresponsible representation of what it means to be like part of the lgbt uh community is that you you know you you're doing this and you're you know, you may seem like, oh, I'm just like a, a a blip in this one episode, but you shine like beacons to people who don't have much of anything. Like, you know, growing up, I didn't have any like gay role models. Like my role models had to come from music and television. That's right. So like, thank you. Thank you for, you know, taking the time to you know, push the movement forward, to to make sure that we were represented at a time where, you know, we were nothing but, you know, stereotypes and jokes to a lot of people. That was always one of my goals. So to be acknowledged for that is wonderful. Because I, you know, there were probably a lot of opportunities where I could have sold out or, and I feel like I'm tooting my own horn, but I feel like I've tried to have integrity and I have failed sometimes. But um, for the most part, I've you know, at the end of the day, you have to live with yourself and your choices. So I've always tried to choose things that would make me feel good. And sometimes in this business, you find yourself getting really frustrated or you feel like it's unfair. Or, But I do look back on my career and the fact that I've survived so many years and I'm very grateful. And when I get distracted, my husband always asks me, why did you create Coco again? And I think, oh, that's right. Because I didn't want kids to have to go through what I went through. Mm. And I wanted to change the world. And as soon as I refocus on that, you know, things start to smooth out again. Mm-hmm. And I, I encourage young people who, you know, a lot of people write to me and they want to become famous. And I, I, I think that that's a, that's not, that shouldn't be the goal. I mean, it can be for some people, but for me, it wasn't. No. How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volur XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Absolutely. That's, you entered the world of 
drag with a purpose with an actual like you know altruistic purpose versus you know seeing people kids nowadays or 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 people who are like oh i want to become a drag queen because i want to get onto drag race and i want to be you know i want to be on tv and make lots of money and it's like that's fine if that's what you want to do but like you have to understand especially if they're gonna if you're gonna reach out to someone who is legendary somebody who is rooted so much into the culture to to turn around and and say oh miss coco peru how can i become a drag queen to so i can get on tv and be famous that's just not that's that's it's that's not how it works that's not how any of this works (laughs) and it's great to see that there are people who have the integrity and that have that that moral compass that are are able to kind of still be those those role models for lgbt you know I don't even want to just say youth, but like just any LGBT person that's out there that that is looking for for somebody that is really trying to make a difference in the world. And I have to say, you know, I I have moments of doubts and whatnot, but you know, when I get up and do a show and and I'm received, you know, people are laughing or you know, I feel them with me. You know, I'm also receiving something, mm. um, and I feel less alone in the world. Um, especially when, you know, I made these videos, which was a total fluke. I never thought I'd have YouTube videos. And I'm often embarrassed when people only know me because of my YouTube videos. Um, but then I think, well, you know, people enjoy them and see me out there in the world. These young teenage girls really seem to love Coco as a role model because I walk into a Kmart and don't care what anybody thinks about me in awful fluorescent lighting. And these young teenage <laughs> girls, you know. They find that empowering because they have to deal with a lot of bullshit. And I think they really identify with Coco on some weird level or they look up to me as a role model. And I think for that, for that reason, then I'm fine with my YouTube videos being what they are. You know, they're not, they're not filmed professionally. They're, the lighting's terrible. But, you know, at the end, who cares? If someone's finding humor or touch by, I had a woman write me recently that she has a, um, a daughter who was, um, she had to pull out of school because she was so um, abused at school, bullied. And uh, and this mother that wrote to me is very conservative, very right-wing, Fox News. She said, in other words, if my daughter hadn't introduced me to you, there's no way I would ever discover you or even care to really discover you. But my daughter... And I have bonded over your videos and um, you have given my daughter strength to be more herself and not care what other people think. And for that, I thank you. Yeah. You know, I I just, that's fabulous. And a mom who would probably, you know, vote against my gay marriage was able to um, write that to me. That's fantastic. Yeah. Which leads to my next question, not smoothly, but what, what has been the most, surprising thing about drag for you you know whether it be like in your career or what you've you've you know observed over the the course of you doing it like what is that that not necessarily singular moment but that that overarching theme that you've seen that is really you've never would have you've never would have discovered that without doing drag oh well maybe this is um not the answer you're looking for but 
the first thing that did pop into my head is that I have discovered that human sexuality is much more fluid than what most people think it is. Mm. And I have over the years had all sorts of men uh, try to pick me up. And uh, some of them, you know, are very, well, I wouldn't call them gay. I think they're straight men. But when I acknowledge that I am a man, they don't seem to care. <laughs> and I, I, I have found that so fascinating that human sexuality really is much more fluid. And I, you know, encourage these young guys who might be into all sorts of whether they're attracted to transsexuals or they themselves enjoy cross-dressing, whatever it is, I encourage them because I think that there's a lot more people out there who aren't who are much more fluid that should be more self-expressed. And and Coco opened me up to that world, you know, that there's just a lot more more ways of being expressed. I don't know if that makes sense. No, it it totally makes sense. I have had, I came home one day and I, and I'm not young. Keep that in mind. And I had a couple of phone numbers in my hand and I, I was driving on the 405 once and some guy in traffic threw his phone number into my car from his car. (laughs) I did come home. I told my husband, I said, listen, if things get tough with money, I've got a second career. (laughs) Oh, I love it. I love it. That is fantastic. Oh god. And I find it very flattering. I joke about that in my show that when guys, you know, cat call me or say dirty things to me, I'm just I would just make it okay. I could imagine. So now you had you had uh, brought up your YouTube videos because basically you you had almost a, a second renaissance with a younger generation with your YouTube videos. I know I uh, I heard about them one of the biggest ones, especially in our circle of uh, the world, was uh, Coco Peru plays Grand Theft Auto, <laughs> and <laughs> and watching that was fantastic. And then just kind of going into the rabbit hole of Coco Peru goes to to uh, Walgreens or or Walmart, and then uh, like you said, Kmart, and like all of these different videos. It's it's fantastic. And and have you? How has how has that like kind of like I know that you 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 talked about the the story with the uh, the girl who was being bullied, but how has that brought like how has that changed the younger generation? How has that like changed your your kind of fan base? Totally, I have moms come to their show, shows with their uh, gay sons or their their straight daughters. Or lesbian, or you know, it's it's it's. But but what I'm saying is, is that the, I I now have teenagers coming to my shows, and they're bring, they're coming with their mo- mothers. That's so awesome. Um, it's so weird because my my audience was always mostly gay men, some lesbians, uh, you know, LGBT people, and those who loved us, maybe a mom every now and then, you know. But now it's it's not even LGBT. It's it's everything, and. Um, and I'm fascinated by it. And the other thing that I absolutely love, you know, my husband's always a few years back when I first started talking about growing older, my husband was a little bit worried that I was going to um, somehow put a, a wall between myself and the younger generation by acknowledging growing older in my age. And I said, you know, I, I disagree. I think young kids 
are looking for role models. They, you know, they want, uh, they want truth. And I'm not going to pretend that I'm younger than I am or whatnot. So I, I started to, and I, I get the biggest kick out of all these kids that call me aunt Coco, or they call me mom, grandma. I love it. I don't, I, I think it's hilarious. It's a wonderful role to feel that, you know, kids look up to you. You know, it's, it's very empowering. I, my biggest fear is that sometimes like when you go to restaurants, um, you're not really self-aware of what's going on. And whenever they sit like a family with like two young kids and I'm like two drinks in, I'm like, well, I feel really nervous. I don't know how this is going to work, but I still got to work out this material. So <laughs> welcome everyone to the shit oh, show. <laughs> yeah. But the kid, the kids, they, they, kids, you know, we're, we're clowns or we're this or that. The other day I was walking in um, out here in Burbank and I had on a black dress and, you know, my face full of makeup and these little kids are looking at me. I thought, yeah, oh, and I, it was mostly Armenian children. And, and I thought, I look like one of their aunts, you know, wearing black and a face full of makeup. So I, I felt like I, these kids, lo- yeah, I felt like I looked just like their aunts. So oh. kids are very open minded. I love it. I love it. Now, okay, so we've we've talked about your acting career. We've talked about your shows. Um, You have worked a lot with some other pretty legendary queens. You know, obviously, um, you and Varla have a lot of history with Girls Will Be Girls. Um, I know in a lot of more recent stuff, um, and especially some of the stuff for Logo, uh, you and Bianca Del Rio have done a lot. And I love your um your little kind of like caddy back and forth in in some of these specials with uh with bianca what is it like to work with these queens and and do you have a do you have a favorite queen that you like to work with when you when you're working with another another drag queen and you know you can just whisper it to us (laughs) it's fine it's just us here Uh, i don't really have a favorite but what i do appreciate about certain queens that i've worked with is how professional they are I, like I said earlier, I trained in the theater. So it was about showing up on time. It was about being uh, respectful to those you were working with. Um, Meaning the lighting person, the sound person, you know, your tech people that are there to make you look better. So um, when I work with other queens that sort of have those same thoughts, uh, and there's a lot of us out there, you know, and, and, you know, you mentioned Bianca, she's very professional. We first met years ago on a cruise, long before she did um, RuPaul's Drag Race. And we hit it off right from the start. Um, Despite what her persona is, you know, and I think they did show some of that on RuPaul's Drag Race. She's very serious, very um, about her work. She has a work ethic, I guess. And And Varla Jean Merman is the same way. Lady Bunny is, you know, years ago, Lady Bunny asked me to do wig stock. And I said to her, she said, every queen has five. I was so excited that I had been asked. She said, every queen only has five minutes. I said, oh my God, the only thing that I can do from my show that I can pull because it stands alone is seven minutes long. She said, I can't have you this year because the other queens will get mad. So next year you'll do your seven minutes and I'll tell the other queens that because you didn't do it this year, you're really supposed to do 10, but you're only going to do seven. And we hung up and I thought, oh, my God, I'll never hear from Bunny again. I can't believe, you know, he wouldn't let me be in it. The following year, she called me up 
and said, you ready to do your seven minutes? And, you know, she remembered that. And so I, I, I enjoy being around Queens who, who uh, have a good work, work ethic. I really love that story. I, I, I adore that story. You're just like, you know, we got, I got you, girl. I got you next year. And, you know, Bunny and I were not running in the same circles back then. So, you know, I probably that whole year hadn't, we weren't really friend friends. So hadn't heard from her the whole year. So it wasn't like throughout the year we had talked like, oh, don't forget seven minutes. No, she remembered from that previous phone call the year before seven minutes. And um, so, you know, that really, that says something about who she is, despite what, you know, you might see in her shows. That's fantastic. That's always my favorite thing is to, is in doing what I do and and with the show and in in my other professional life uh, is getting to work with, with Queens like you and with Bianca and Bunny and getting to see that professionalism and getting to see that side of, of the Queens that isn't necessarily present in the shows because that's not part of your branding or that's not part of, you know, the public persona and, and it's it's right. it's so it's so fantastic to actually get to sit down and interview interview you or interview any of these people or work with these people because it really does bring you into a, a whole different side of that queen and gives you so much more respect for them. Yeah, and when I you know I I did a comedy show with Willem and and Alaska and Jackie Beat and peaches christ and Hecklina, and we're all friends and you know people are always saying oh what's it like backstage you know the cat fights and the uh it, it's it's like a bunch of girlfriends sitting together cackling and laughing and we we all support each other we all want each other to really shine and do well so um that's the kind of queen i want to be and that's who i try to surround myself with i think it's it's easy and like we've you know, I, I who have never done drag, but surround my, I like to stamp myself, you know, and stand around the legendary children. And maybe one day I'll be up and coming. But, um, you know, seeing the, like, the business of drag. Like, you know, everyone sees the limelight, the glitz, the glamour, you know, the Swarovski crystals that you've hand hot glue gun to your dress. But, you know, you don't see what it's like to, to you know, have that booking or, you know, you know, sleep out of your, you know, live out of your suitcase for like two and a half, three months while you're on the road. Yeah, it's not pretty. And shaving to the point where your face is just, you're thinking, I can't shave one more day. My face hurts, but you you do it. But, but the, I, there's one image that you'll, I can give you about the reality of drag. And this is when I lived in New York early on. I had uh my, I didn't have a wig case. My father made my first wig stand out of a broomstick and a, like a piece of wood. And I would carry my wig on that from the club and, and then have my dresses draped over my arm in dress bags and, you know, then a suitcase and, you know, and I, my arms are filled and it had snowed and the, the road was icy. And I lived in the Bronx at the time. So I would drive all the way into the city, have to find parking. And I got back to my car and I'm with all this stuff trying to open my car door. And, you know, when you pull on the door, you live in Florida, you may not know if it's the door's frozen shut, you know, doesn't open it. My legs went out from under me. I ended up underneath my car, dropped everything. And I watched my wig on the, you know, styrofoam head 
just sliding down the slope of the street away from me. I'm laying on the ground, just watching my wig slipping down the street. And I thought, this is the reality <laughs> of being a drag queen. It's like you go from glamour, or I used to be mistaken for a prostitute when I would walk back to my car in drag. And I thought, it's so funny that in I just was being a, got a standing ovation. And now I'm, I have a man, you know, offering me cash. And, you know, I should have taken the cash. I probably could have made more money back then on those streets than I did in those cabaret rooms. I can't tell you how many times I was running to the ATM around the street to take out money to pay my piano player because he was making more money than I was. Oh, my God. Those were the days. Pat and I are both karaoke hosts. And uh, I, I let a friend in on a secret. You know, sometimes you have that moment where, like, I'm doing this because I love it and I enjoy it. And I, I see, like you said, like the audience is giving you something back. And there are nights where, like, I'm up there and, you know, joke after joke, people are laughing or like you're just up there dying and you look at your tip jar and you don't see you see like four dollars in it two of which are your seed dollars because it's a two dollar bill and i start to sing um private dancer by tina turner because i'm just like yep this is what a prostitute feels like (laughs) selling your body for a little bit of money (laughs) i can relate to that but i i but i have been very lucky like i said Mm -hmm. and um you know but we all have ups and downs yeah even coco peru (laughs) Um, so what's coming up for Coco? Like in the in the upcoming weeks, what 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 should all of our listeners be looking for? Well, by the time this airs, um, I will have already done this cruise with Peaches Christ and Heclina, mm. which should be a hoot. <laughs> then I go to visit my mom, Helen, who's ninety one and living in Florida, and then I do my show in Fort Lauderdale, and she can't wait to come see my show. She comes to see uh, all of my shows. At, even at her age, she's still, she used to bring her girlfriends when I first started to see my shows in New York and not tell them what I did. And just, she would tell them, come with an open mind. It was so um, amazing. And uh, I'm very lucky that way. But after that, I will be in Boston doing two shows in Boston. I go to London and, and Manchester. I'll be, oh God, where else? I always go blank. But anyway, you can go to my website, cocoperu.com, and, and, and it's, it's, some of the dates are up there already. I'll be in Los Angeles doing my show again. Um, hopefully returning to Orlando in uh, uh, around gay days. So they're working on that now, hopefully. I've got my fingers crossed because I missed out like I always do when people come to town. But I swear I will move heaven and earth. Heaven and earth. You know, and, and and just to not to bring us all down, but I had performed uh, a week before that Pulse uh, thing happened. Mm-hmm. It, or it, maybe not even a week because I performed over the weekend. It happened the following, you know what I mean? Yeah. And, um, and I had seen a friend of mine that I had done a cruise with, um, and he was one of the people who was killed. And... Uh, my husband and I left, I left Orlando and flew right back over to Spain. And that's where we heard the news. It was so disturbing. And I feel like I need to come back to Orlando to create a new memory. 
Absolutely. It sucked. You know, it sucked not to make it about myself, but I had such a wonderful time there. And I met so many wonderful people. And it just was so awful to think that those people had gone through that as a community, you know, everyone there. So I want to come back and create a new memory of Orlando. Help keep the city beautiful, city beautiful. Oh, it's a great city. I've been going to Orlando back when the roads were sand. (laughs) No, seriously, my grandparents moved there in the late 60s, and I started going to Disney World, uh, you know, in 1970, I don't know what. But back then in Castleberry, where my grandparents lived, the roads were sand. Yeah, there are parts of Castleberry that are still sand roads. Like, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, gosh. I love Orlando. Coco, thank you so much for joining us. I just have one, one last question for you. Yes, sweetheart. Okay. So say there is, you know, a a young-ish gentleman who uh, has stars in his eyes about performing and doing drag for the first time. Are there any, like, like seeds of wisdom you could do okay so i haven't done drag yet and i keep telling these people that i'm gonna do it and i always ask other drag queens for advice because i know it's impossible but i want to be as prepared for like that that first time i slip into a pump as i possibly can be not to say super polished but you know not looking like i I rolled around in the back of a steamer trunk and said yeah this is good i would say maybe the uh, have someone uh, do your makeup the first time or at least tutor you on your makeup. I didn't have that, uh, actually. So I've had to learn from other queens. Very basic. The makeup thing is still difficult for me. I don't enjoy it. It's like painting. It's mm. not a nat- an art that comes naturally to me. But I would say also, you know, whatever, you, however you perform or whatever you, uh, a queen chooses to do on stage, rehearse it and make sure you know it. Uh, don't think you can get up there and, and just uh, wing it in the moment. Really know your stuff because that's it's that rehearsal. It's that being prepared that sets you above the rest. Mm. Th- thank you. Uh, Those are that's actually some amazing advice that has never in all the times that we've done this and all the queens that we've talked to. That is the first time that advice has been given. And yeah. Makeup. Makeup is a, a huge thing and something that I think people tend to forget about. And, and that's, that's awesome. I love that. Yeah. I, I, uh, I, I hate putting on makeup, but thanks to other Queens, I've, you know, I've learned little things here and there over the years. That's fantastic. Thank you. That's like a tangible thing that I will. Oh, I got to ask around Coco. It has been a pleasure and a delight. I, I have thoroughly enjoyed speaking with you. Thank you, and hopefully we'll get to speak in person in in at gay days. Absolutely, that would be fantastic. So, thank you, listeners. Uh, we just want to make sure that you are following us on all the Instagrams and the socials that you can. You can find us at flameonshow.com. If you've enjoyed this or any of the other shows on the Nerdy Show Network, remember you can go and support us via Patreon. Go to patreon.com forward slash nerdy show you can even earmark some of that patreon money to come directly to our show just put it in the little notes there um head over to itunes or to to soundcloud or anywhere where you get your 
podcast and be sure to give us a star rating uh leave us a review pod chaser i know is a new up and coming uh podcast up and coming up and coming podcast forum um and we've got all of our shows on there if you are listening to us through pod chaser please feel free to give us a a review over there and that always helps other people to be able to find our show and, and don't forget that we're on twitter flame on podcast because i did that and we're not changing it <laughs> um and make sure to to follow go to cocoperu.com uh coco is on all of the the socials as well are you miss coco peru on there i don't know i'm <laughs> some, yeah miss coco peru usually or the real miss coco peru and they're all different just search Coco Peru when you go to your favorite social media site, and you'll be able to find Coco there. Mm-hmm. Or you might even find a dog named after me. There's a couple of people that have. That's fantastic. I love that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, listeners, thank you for joining us. And Coco, once again, thank you for joining us. Oh, it's my pleasure. Thank you for your support and, and, and the sweet sweet words you had for me today thank you oh thank you now listeners we'll be back at this point you you know we'll be back we promise you some point some point don't know how don't know when but (laughs) i promise you we'll be back thank you bye later hi i'm daniel founder of pretty litter cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter that's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.